Snap Studios. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life, waiting for this moment to arise. You're listening to Spooked. Stay tuned. From KQED and PRX, you've crossed over to Spooked. This time of year, walking the dog near the hills by my home, I see him run away, happy. Watch him vanish to the thick bay mist. Of course, I know he's there just a few feet in front of me, but I can't see Jack. Just hear him barking at a rabbit, at a coyote, barking at the fog itself. It's easy to pretend that there's no one else on this trail, just me and Georgie. So I'm always startled when a figure emerges from that fog, maybe with their dog, hoodie up, head down, Each of us hoping the other wishes them no harm in this almost darkness. We nod. One to the other, then we relax. A few more feet. I turn back around, but... They've already disappeared. Spook starts. Now. driving down that dark and lonely road with the wind howling, the mist swirling, the rain pouring down from the sky. When do you decide? When do you decide that you don't want to see what's just around that bend? Spook, 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 spook. Yeah. Hi, my name is Michael Kilpatrick. I'm a musician, a full-time musician. And I was playing a gig in Huntsville, Alabama. And I had a great show. Went to the bar, thanked everybody for having us. Gave everybody hugs and kisses. And on the way out, one of the guys from the bar goes, Hey, Mike. Hey, man. You really want to pay close attention to the weather, man. It's starting to get bad. I think the storm's going to get bad. With that, my girl Karen and I hopped into the red Honda Accord. And we were off to Birmingham. Birmingham. 
This is a drive that I have done many, many, many times over my life. So this is just a normal drive for me. We'd been driving about 30 minutes. It's 1.30 in the morning, and it's very, very dark, very windy, and starting to rain a little bit. And we made a right turn onto a very, very small two-lane highway that runs 30 miles out of Huntsville, Alabama. Once we turned onto the two-lane road, the atmosphere just felt different around us. I rolled the windows down. Oddly enough, the weather was extremely calm. There was no rain. There was virtually no wind. There were no lights on anywhere around. You ever heard the expression calm before the storm? That's sort of what it felt like. And I changed the tape player over to the radio to tune in an AM station to find out if there were any weather bulletins. We'd been on the two-lane road for maybe 10 minutes. Up ahead, I see some headlights coming toward us, which is rare for this time of night on this two-lane road. I start to slow the car a little bit. We're maybe 500 yards away, and the closer I get to them, we notice that the headlights are arranged vertically rather than horizontally. As we neared the car, I lowered the window. We realized that we're actually looking at a perfectly pristine car. It's a dark-colored SUV. looked like it was just off the showroom floor, and it was just sitting on its passenger side. And the engine was running. And the interior lights were on. All the running lights were on. The windshield wipers in this car were on. And the strangest thing was the driver's side door was wide open, somehow defying gravity. And at this point, I yelled out, Does anybody need any help? Is everybody okay? Hello? Hello? I looked at Karen and I said, something's bad wrong here. There's this car, it's been in some sort of an accident, but there's no damage to the vehicle whatsoever. The car is completely pristine. Nothing wrong. There's no broken glass. There's no skid marks. There's no debris. The car just looks like it's been set on its side and abandoned. Karen said, this just feels funny. I feel like either someone might be watching us or someone is waiting for us to get out. I just got a really bad feeling, just a sinking feeling in in my stomach that something was really, really wrong. Karen said... Let's just go. Let's just go move along. 
We continued on, and we sort of felt like the worst of the storm probably had passed, so we felt like we could just get back up to speed and ignore this anomaly and just keep going and get back to Birmingham. Well, we've been driving about five minutes and still kind of rattled by what we'd seen, but we sort of had put it out of our minds, and we just concentrated on the drive. And we're making small talk when we came around another corner. And around that corner, we saw some taillights. But the closer we got to them, we realized they were the taillights of yet another SUV. This car looked different. It was also a dark-colored SUV, but it was more red or maroon. The closer we got to it, we realized that this SUV was on its roof. I didn't have a cell phone or I would have called 911 myself. I lowered the passenger side window where Karen was, and we both just stopped and looked out. The car is upside down in a very, very shallow ditch right next to the side of the road. I heard the windshield wipers of the car moving. The engine was on. The interior lights were on. None of the doors of the car were open but it just seemed like a perfectly normal car flipped on its top. No scratches. No broken glass. No broken anything. Karen, you call him. She just said, Hello? Anybody there? Anyone around? Need any help? Hello? Hello? Karen turned to face me, and it seemed like the color was starting to drain out of her face. She has a much cooler head than I do, and if she was upset, then I knew I needed to be upset. We had been sitting there a couple of moments, and then we just decided... We need to get out of here. There's something really, really, really bad here. I pressed the accelerator pretty hard. And just said, what is going on here? Karen didn't say a word. We had not passed another car. We had not passed another living soul on this road, and we've now been on the road 15 minutes. Well, way up ahead, I noticed something in the road, and it looked like the road was covered in, like, white-colored gravel, like hailstones. And the closer we got to it, I realized that these hailstones were moving. 
and they were as far as the eye could see in all directions. So I got a little closer, and the closer I got to them, I realized that they weren't hailstones at all. They were frogs. Tiny, tiny frogs. Maybe just a little bit bigger than a 50-cent piece. Every square inch of that road and the shoulder of the road were covered with these hopping frogs everywhere. The whole road looked like it was moving in front of me. I pulled the car to a stop. I lowered the windows. We heard no noises. It was as though God turned off the audio of the world. We didn't hear the frogs. They made no noise. We heard nothing but the sound of my engine. No wind, no rain, no radio, no breathing. We heard nothing. And all we could see were these frogs everywhere we looked. And they continued on up the road as far as we could see. Just hopping around on this wet pavement. Thousands upon thousands of them. Just everywhere. I reached over, put my hand on Karen's knee, and said, I don't know what this is, but it feels like the plague. She said nothing. My heart was in my throat. I kind of felt my hands shake. I don't think I've ever been more frightened in my life. I've been through some frightening experiences, but nothing like this. I glanced at Karen, and she was motionless, just staring, staring at the frogs. I looked at Karen, and I said, We can't stay here. We have to keep going. And for just a moment, the animal lover in me said, well, I can't run these frogs down. I can't run over these frogs, these poor frogs. Whatever they're doing here, I don't know. But we got to get out of here. So I went ahead and continued on. Once we're driving, I'm hearing the frogs as they jump hit the side of our car. I'm hearing very, very small thumps against the front, the sides, the doors, very small thumps. And the frogs just kept coming. And we continued down this road. 
we've gone another mile, another two miles, another three miles, and these frogs are still everywhere, all around us. We're running over them. They're in front of us. They're behind us. They're on the sides. They're just everywhere. They're just like a chorus of thumps, tiny thumps against the car. Very, very unsettling to say the least to know that I was killing these frogs by running over them, but I had to get out of there. Four miles I'd gone, and the frogs sort of tapered off. After we passed through the frogs, and it looked like they were behind us, I just pressed the accelerator hard. And I was probably 20 miles over the speed limit. I just wanted to get as far away from them as I could. I kept driving another 10 minutes. And I reached the interstate, which I need to get on to get back to Birmingham. And I see that there's one gas station right at the freeway entrance. And so I pull in, hoping to just sort of shake my head and just kind of make sense of what happened. Well, I slide the car into the the parking lot of the gas station, pull up in a parking space, And I immediately wanted to jump out to see what the car looked like. Karen hopped out the passenger side. I hopped out my side. The first thing I did was look at the exterior of the vehicle. I just felt more than a little unsettled. Because not only had we seen what we'd seen and driven through what we'd driven through, I saw no outward evidence on the car that we'd been through anything like this. It's just a wet car on a wet road on a wet night in rural Alabama. Thank you, Michael, for sharing your story with the spooked. How very relieved we are that you made it back from the Twilight Zone. Original score for that story by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Annie Nguyen. Now, we're traveling to a small coastal town in Maine. This place is called Lubbock. It's the easternmost town in the United States of America. And once you're there, you better get comfortable because it's over 100 miles to the next city. Bubba. Bubba's lived there his whole life, and in his 20s, Bubba worked at the town's famous lighthouse, manned by the U.S. Coast Guard. For four years, Bubba was in charge of a small crew that kept watch in shifts 
their job? Never, ever let the light go out. Here's Bubba. In the light, there's no other light, lighthouse like it. The horizontal red and white stripes, 13 altogether. It's, a, you know, the flag of the colonial days. My name is George Eden. I'm 63 years old. I live in Lubeck, Maine. Left here in 1974 after high school to join the Coast Guard and put 26 years in the Coast Guard. If you guys wasn't here today, I wouldn't be in this house. I will not be in the house alone. Believe it or not, I can't never be alone the rest of my life. It is like isolated, you know, there's bears down there, there's coyotes, there's wildlife. I've seen, honest to God, I've seen a mountain lion down there. We gotta go 50 miles to go to Walmart. We gotta go 50 miles to go to a movie. Well, that road is a winding, you know, winding, you know, it's a dangerous road. Thicker fog down there at night, you, you, could, you could go off the road very, very easily. Duty was, was uh, two days on, two days off, then the weekend off. But you got to remember that you're on there for two days. You got to give the you got to give the weather report every four hours. You got to time the light, and then you got to make sure the fog is going. Somebody might be drowning out there, falling overboard. So you're constantly watching the ocean too. You always had that feeling like somebody was either looking at you or, or standing behind you or something like that. There was a presence there that felt. It was, it was like a dark presence, an evil presence. For somebody that is not used to a rural setting, like like Lubeck, and they come from a city and get stationed down there, I, I've had a couple, it, it, it was a shocker for them. I come in one morning, and a guy wanted to commit suicide. He was up on the light, facing the ocean, and he locked the door to, to get up there, and he, he, he uh, you know, wanted to jump off the, uh, the lighthouse kill himself so I had to call the medical center and come down and, and they took him out in a straight jacket and he was kicking yelling screaming and and I just kept asking him, what happened to you what happened to you how did you get to this state of mind and, uh, and then I then this guy named Bradley his he was from Lubeck so he had trouble he was scared he was scared he was scared to stay there yeah, he could he wouldn't handle it. So one night I come down to check on him, and I went down over the hill, and all the lights were on, all the lights. It's like what the heck? And then I get get closer down there, I see his car, and all the windows and everything was smashed out of his car. His tail lights, his headlights, they was all smashed out. Glass all over the road. I'm going, man, somebody did that to him, and you know we're gonna get the bottom of it. So I went in the I went in the light and hollered, "Hey Bradley, 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 where are you?" And I, I then I you know I said, "Are you in the bathroom? Open the door up right now. I'm going to kick it in." Well, you opened it up like this. Honest to God, there was a mattress and a pillow right by the flush. He had a gun. He had a knife. He had an axe. And he's just like this, right? Like like he was in horror. <laughs> he was he, like he's like he's seen a ghost. And I'm, I'm looking at him. It ain't funny. I'm looking at him and go, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to your vehicle? Your vehicle's all spent. He goes, honest to God, I looked out the window and there was 12 people in cloaks. And they had sticks. And they was going around my car and they smashing it up. I said, okay, uh, where'd they go? Did you see where they went? They just vanished in the woods. 
I said, okay, all right. So I got him out there and got him a cup of coffee, and he was shaking and everything like that, and and uh, he, he was he was he was scared right to death. I called the medical center again and had him come down and take him off off the straitjacket. I went through I went through about ten people down there. It was hard enough to get somebody down there to stand that kind of duty. A lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't be alone. And and if you're there all alone, I can see being scared. I was scared. I was scared. I wasn't happy going out there every four hours at night. I wasn't scared of the animals. I was scared of maybe seeing something else. That's what I was scared of. When it started getting dark outside, I felt it. I felt, you know, I this, you know, it was the worst feeling for me. You know, I'm the only one here. I'd hear a spoon in a, in, a, in a cup. I said, geez, who's drinking coffee out there? And I'd listen to it for a while. I was right by the kitchen in my bedroom. And I could hear it. I could hear drawers opening up and all that. You know, my bed was situated so I'd look right at the, at the uh, door to see if the doorknob would be turning. I was armed. I never slept all night. I did during the day. I, I would during the day. Not at night. That's how crazy I was. I put up on the doors. I put up like bells and stuff because um, I, I really wanted to hear somebody trip, uh, you know, hit one of them. You know what I mean? I really, I really wanted to hear that. I figure if they're coming, they'll come to me, and uh, and I'll be ready for them. I remember it was a, it was a clear day. It was a beautiful day out, and all that. Of course, I had the duty. I don't think anybody came down and visit. I had visits every almost every day. Nobody came down that day, which was odd. I see the wind change. It was southwest, and I said, "Here we go again." Southwest could be could be thicker fog down here tonight. I mean, thick. Well, I looked out the window about ten o'clock at night and couldn't even see a car. That's how thick it was, and that makes you nervous too. I, uh, at 10 o'clock, I think I went to bed around 10 o'clock, something like that. But I'm in there, laying down and all that, and I just, just get in bed, and I heard this banging on the door. I'm going, hmm, who the hell will be coming down here at 10 o'clock at night? It must be, must be one of my friends or something wants to come in and say hello, but they never come down at 10 o'clock at night before. So I hear the, I keep hearing the banging. It wasn't loud, this banging, you know. So I said, well... Must be somebody in distress. So I, I, I start, I'm in the kitchen now. I walk through the door and I, I see the shape of, I see the shape of somebody. I open up the door and there's this woman standing there, this, this, this like this, you know. And she had this, 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 this dress was like a, it was like a Civil War dress. It was kind of gray and white and all that. And I'm looking at her and she's, I mean, she's. As soon as I seen her eyes, it's like she's looking right through me. She was, looks like she was in, I won't say terror, but she was well, not a happy person. I was scared shitless. I was scared. I, right, as soon as I, as soon as I went out the door, it's like, like that, and, and my heart was pounding, and I just said, "May I help?" And she was, "Yes, I have to use the bathroom." She, she sounded like a, like a, like a, uh, a really soft soft voice, really soft, like a squeaky voice. And I said, yeah, and, and you, know, I'm a, you know, I'm a quiz person. I was going to ask her a hundred questions. 
But all of a sudden, I just felt, I just got this feeling like I got to, you know, she wants to use the bathroom. That's her priority, you know, okay, no problem. So I, I told her, yeah, the bathroom's right over here. Well, guess what? She walks by me. She goes, I know where it is. You do? She walks by me, opens up the door to where, and that freaked me out. And I, and I said, you must be here, be, been here before, and she didn't ask me. Well, she started going up the stairs, and I turned the light on. And she could, I watched her right up the stair, and I'm kind of looking up there to make sure that she's in the bathroom all right. She's in the bathroom, no light comes on the whole time. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. And I, that's when I went, shit, I, I think... I either got to face some music here or run the hell out of here and get, and get my truck and take off. That's what I should have done. Well, anyway, I backed off and went, went out in the, you know, the kitchen's right there, and here she comes. And she comes down, she walks right out the, right out the door, and when she, come, when she come out of that door downstairs, she didn't even look at me. She didn't even look at me. She went right by me like that. And I told her, I said, i got to ask you a couple of questions. She didn't even ask me. She went right out the door, and in and, and a thick of fog, she went right out. So I went out. I went out because I told her, I, I started yelling. I said, ma'am, you're going the wrong way because the, the cliff was there. That was it. She, she then disappeared in the fog. So Raymond T., the next morning, I went and got him. I said, Raymond, this woman came in here last night. She didn't look like something I've seen before. Well, then he told me he'd seen her over there a few years back. And I said, oh, I said, so what do you think, Raymond? He goes, it's a ghost. I, I wish now I would have touched her. I wish I would have just went like that and touched her to see to see if, if there was any kind of reaction or something like that. And I, I just started thinking all these things that, why did she come in and see me? Why, I mean, why me? Why not somebody else? Uh, was she safe with me? I don't know. She had to, I think she had to be, um, I don't know. She, she, something happened there. She either, something happened. I, I, you know, I, I, believe, I do believe she died down there. Something, she might have died there. She might have died at sea. You know, she might have got lost. She looked like, she looked like a lost soul to me. That's what it looked like to me. Like I said, my last two years was, was very, very difficult because I really thought I'd see her again. I've dreamed of her. I have dreamed of that woman. It's the same thing. She walks by me, turns around, walks out. Every dream, every dream is the same thing. Walks, this goes up there, goes out, then I wake up. And I, you know, even, even today, I have a light on my, uh, every night, a little light there, that's all, so that I feel safe. Bubba, for manning the light, keeping everyone safe for so many years. We're glad you don't have to be down there anymore. The original score for that story was by Clay Xavier. It was produced by Greta Weber and Galen Cock. 
know. I know it goes so quickly because time, time she is an illusion. Don't let them trick you. And if you want to hear stories that won't haunt you in the middle of the night, but will make you face your humanity in the middle of the day, subscribe to our sister podcast, Snap Judgment. Storytelling with a beat. Spooks is brought to you by the team that never wears a jacket on those dark stormy nights. I don't know why. Flee in terror from the very sight of Mark Ristich. Anna Sussman, our chief spookster, is Eliza Smith, Chris Hambrick, Annie Nguyen, Marissa Dodge, Wenzel Goria, Leon Norimoto, Jacob Winnick, Tiffany DeLiza, and Ford. Eric Yanez, Sana Khan. Our original score is by Lauren Newsom. Their spook theme song is by Pat Masini Miller. And my name is Glenn Washington. Understand. When someone pretending to be your friend asks you to visit their cabin in the woods off the grid, well, you know to turn them down. Because off the grid means no power. No power means no lights. And you, Spookster, you know full well to never, ever, never, ever, at this point, you never, ever, ever, ever turn out the lights. This story was summoned in the dark of night by KQED and PRX.